This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Well, if you're anything like me, um, waiting and, you know, waiting for your sporting team to make the semifinals or grand finals for years and years and years and years and years can be painful, but I hate waiting. I hate waiting. And yes... I recognize that waiting and patience is a fruit of the Spirit. I know that. I can read Galatians 5. Thank you very much. So how about we don't call it impatience? I just prefer to call myself eager. I'm very eager for things to happen and to happen quickly. I hate waiting in supermarket lines for the checkout person to punch those things through. I hate, I hate having to wait for other people to do their own scanning and pack their own bags. I remember shopping at Woolworths at Marrickville and I always get to the end of, you know, when I've got to do a big shop and I've got a trolley, get to the end and I'm scanning the lines. I'm trying to check out which line is going to go the fastest. So I count the people, I'm like, there's three people in that line, four in that line, seven in that line. But that person's got a small, there's two people with small things there. So they're about the same. I'm going to pick this line. And I've made the same mistake multiple lines. There is a line that sucks you in at Marrickville Metro Woolworths, right? It's the line, the very end. They always put the same lady there. She's a slow lady. Don't get sucked in by that. She, she scans and packs every item. I'm like, come on, let's speed this process up a bit. I've got things to do. I've got people to see. I've got stuff happening in my life and I hate waiting. And if you're anything like me, you hate waiting too. We cannot stand waiting for slow internet. We cannot stand waiting for Netflix to load our movie. All of the, We are in a culture that just wants things now, instantly, yesterday, happening. And yet the reality is that waiting is so much of our human experience. We all wait. We wait all the time. You wait for your train. You wait for um, your husband or wife probably your wife to get ready and change multiple outfits or perhaps you're, you're waiting for your housemates to just simply do their part in cleaning the house or we're waiting all the time. In fact, some, I read this research this week, it said that for, for the average human, whatever the average human is, but for the average human, they will spend six months of their life waiting now, I don't know if this statistic is true because the next step was we will spend, of that six months, 43 days waiting on automated customer service phone lines. You know, those stupid things like they say, you can speak your request. I'm like, customer service, would you like to take out a new loan? No, customer service, we'll transfer you through to new loans. I'm like, hang up, right? And, we, and apparently we spend 43 days of our life wasting that time on automated customer service lines. But the reality is we wait. Waiting is a part of what it means to be human. And perhaps you're in a season of waiting. Waiting maybe for a job or a better job. Waiting for a spouse. Waiting for children. Waiting for the news of a diagnosis. Waiting for a season in your life to be over or for a new season to begin, we're waiting. All of us, we wait for things. And in this narrative that we are in at the moment in Genesis, Joseph finds himself waiting. He's been waiting for a long time for God to do something in his life because we left off the story two weeks ago as James Wong painted that picture for us of, of Joseph being falsely accused and sent to prison because Potiphar's wife 
tried to seduce him to sleep with her. And Joseph is thrown in jail, in, uh, unjustly, falsely accused, falsely tried, falsely condemned, thrown into prison. And he has been there for 11 years when we get to this point in Genesis chapter 40. He has been there for 11 years. And he's thinking to himself, God, when is this gonna end? When are you gonna come and rescue me? Like, when is the whole dream thing gonna happen? You know, the, the 11 sheaves of wheat bowing down and the sun, moon and 11 stars bowing. Like, when's that happening, God? Because 11 years is a long time. And perhaps you find yourself in a familiar moment like that, waiting, a long season of waiting, asking God, when? God, when is this gonna happen? Or when is this gonna end? We're into that waiting. I, I wanna speak truth of the God that we worship from a, a, a sermon that Paul preaches to the church in Athens as he preaches to the Athenians about the God of the universe. He says that God is the God who appoints your neighbors and numbers your days. God is the God who appoints your neighbors and numbers your days. Actually, more than that, Acts 17 says, God is the God who sets the boundaries of nations and God is the God who determines the length of their reign. God is the God who determines how long a nation will rise, a nation's rising and a nation's falling, how long it will rule and how far their boundaries will stretch. God is in control of all of that. And we will see also in this story that God is in control of the minute details of a person's brain. That he is in control of the timing of neural pathways and brain waves that make dreams happen in the middle of the night for three people in this story. And we're reminded that God is categorically in control. He's in control. And so as we dive back into Joseph's narrative here in the story of Joseph, we will see God at work, but his hand again is hidden, that's not obvious. But what we do see is his perfect timing. And my hope today is that in your waiting, you will see both God's hidden hand at work and his timing in your life. And so we pick up the story with Joseph in prison. At the end of Genesis 39, verse 21, Joseph is in jail, but it says there that even in the midst of his trial, the Lord was with him and showed him his steadfast love and showered him with his favor and blessed him and gave him success. So there is Joseph, 11 years in prison, and yet the Lord is with him. The Lord is blessing him. Even in difficult circumstances, God is at work. And it's no fluke here that Joseph just so happens to be in the king's prison. This is not just the, the prison for ordinary people. This is the king's prison reserved for certain criminals. And Joseph just so happens to be in a position of leadership in this prison. He's afforded certain privileges that not all of the other prisoners would have been afforded. And it's not a mistake. You see, God in his control and in his providence places certain people beside Joseph in jail. And his providence comes in the form of cellmates, fellow inmates, the cupbearer and the baker. 
The cupbearer and the baker are two of Pharaoh's most trusted officials. The cupbearer is kind of like the last line of defense, you know, to prevent poisoning of Pharaoh. If someone were to take Pharaoh out, poisoning his drink would seem to be a good way to do that. And so kings and Pharaohs appointed cupbearers to drink the drink before they passed it on and to wait to see if that person died or not. So yeah, like what, what kind of a job? I'll sign up for that job. Fairly risky job, but it meant that the cupbearer was one of Pharaoh's most loyal and trusted officials. Because literally, this guy put his life on the line for Pharaoh every single drink that he had. Same with the baker. The baker was in charge of Pharaoh's food. He attended Pharaoh's table every night. He had the same level of access and trust. And both of these guys, we're not told why, but both of these guys end up in prison right next door to Joseph, right in Joseph's area, his cell block, his division. And there they are. And it's no mistake, it's no coincidence that both of these guys are there. You see, who else could it be more important for Joseph to get the ear of than two people who spoke to the most important person in the world, Pharaoh himself. And so Joseph must be rubbing his hands together thinking, this is my moment, this is my opportunity. I remember a number of years ago when I had a moment of opportunity with someone who was very important. I was preaching at a wedding. In fact, it was the wedding of my, uh, my brother and sister-in-law, Dave and Jess Buster, who were a part of our uh, anchor launch team back in the day. And they, Dave grew up in, uh, in the country and his neighbor was John Anderson, the ex-deputy prime minister of Australia and leader of the National Party. Big deal. Um, and, and quite a profound leader, Christian man. And I remember thinking to myself, if I get an opportunity to talk to John Anderson at this wedding, I'm going to take it. I'm going to seize this opportunity. And I'm going to ask him if he'll mentor me in leadership. I thought, what an opportunity. Be mentored by someone who once upon a time was acting prime minister of Australia. Surely he'd have lots of lessons to teach me. And so there I was at this wedding. I preached my message, got down off the stage. And John Anderson walked towards me. I was like, this is my moment. And I shook his hand. I said, hello, he's... He's very grand, he's deep voice, very impressive. And I said to him, John, you know, I'm, I'm in a position of leadership and I'd love to grow. And I'm wondering if you would consider mentoring me in leadership. And straight up, he's like, nah, I don't have time for that. But what you should do is go and read John Dixon's book about humility. <laughs> I was like, all right, fair enough. But ever been in that position where you think this, I've been given a little window of opportunity here to get the ear of someone significant and important and Joseph has his moment. These two guys have been placed in this jail right next to Joseph and this is his moment. And so I wanna to say to you, in your season of waiting, that it's no mistake that God has you where you are right now your workplace, your colleagues, your family, your housemates, your neighbours, your barista. Your... God, God has you there where you are right now for a reason, for a purpose. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. The sovereign God of the universe has planned these things out and he's placed you there for a reason, for a purpose. And even in a season of trial and difficulty, God can be at work. And he's at work here, placing important people in Joseph's path. And you've got to be thinking, this is it. After 11 years of waiting, this is it for Joseph. 
This is his moment. When the prison, these two men have nightmares. The cupbearer and the baker have nightmares. Now, I had a nightmare last night. It was horrible. Uh, I had a nightmare. My dream started out fairly normal. I was driving my mum's car and I had my two eldest kids, Judah and Piper, in the car. And the fuse box just below the steering wheel caught on fire. And so I pulled the car over in a very dodgy suburb in Sydney and I jumped out of the car and I was trying to blow the flames out, like just blow on them, you know, like blow these flames out. And eventually the fire went out and in all of my wisdom, I decided to close the door, leave my two children in a car that was potentially volatile in a dodgy suburb of Sydney and go to the pub and have lunch. That seemed quite normal at the time, but then as I'm walking back from the pub afterwards with a person that was introduced, you ever have a dream and someone just turns up in the dream like, where did that person come from? I'm walking back from the pub with this person who just randomly appears in my dream thinking, I hope, I hope the kids are okay. And I get back there and the car's gone and I'm freaking out. And I wake up in this like hot sweat and I'm like, you know when you have a dream, it's so real. And, and then I decided I need to go back into my dream and try and undo the events. I was like, no, no, I'm going to call the fire brigade and we're going to put the fire out. I'm going to get Judah and Piper. We'll go in the fire truck or I'm going to call Tash to pick us up. I was just, like trying to reinvent the dream, but it didn't work. And I just kept imagining all of these horrors that could be happening. It was a nightmare. And then Levi woke up at four o'clock and screamed for two hours. So I've had very little sleep last night. But these two men, the cupbearer and the baker, have a dream. They have a nightmare in prison. And this is what it says in chapter 40, verse 5. And one night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, well, we've had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to the Lord? Please tell me. And they each tell Joseph their dream. The cupbearer has a dream and in his dream, he sees a, a vine, a grapevine growing up and three branches of this grapevine grow and they begin to bud and grapes come and he takes the grapes off the vine and he crushes them into the cup and he passes fresh grape juice to Pharaoh. And Joseph says, well, this is what the dream means. Uh, the, the three vines represent three days and after three days, God is gonna reinstate you to your position as cupbearer to the king and you're gonna give him the cup again. And then Joseph seizes his moment of opportunity. He says, and when that happens, can you please take Pharaoh's ear and tell him about this injustice that has happened to me? I'm in prison unfairly, unfairly treated. I'm innocent. Please tell him about me so that I can get out of here. Great plan, Joseph. Well, the baker, when he hears that uh, the, the cupbearer's dream has been interpreted favorably, he says to Joseph, what about my dream? I had a dream and in my dream, I had three baskets of bread. And the three baskets of bread were on top of my head, piled on top of each other. And on the top basket, birds were sitting on top and they were pecking at the food and eating of the food. And Joseph says to him, well, the three baskets, they represent three days as well. And in three days, Pharaoh is gonna lift your head off and hang you and the birds will eat your flesh. And I'm like... I mean, imagine that guy. He's like, just heard that the other guy's gonna get re, you know, reinstated and he's like, oh, I'm gonna, cool, I'm gonna die. Great, thank you, Joseph. 
fingers crossed he's wrong. And Joseph interprets these dreams and then verse 20, this is what happens. Genesis 40 verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Just as Joseph had said, that's how it went down. That's how it played out. Cupbearer restored, baker hung, dead, birds eating his flesh. Now my question is, how is Joseph so confident? How is Joseph so confident in interpreting these dreams, especially given the fact that his track record is not all that good? Like if you remember, Joseph had two dreams, right? The dream of the, the 11 sheaves and the, the sun, moon and 11 stars all bowing down to him. And what has come of his dream? After the last 11 years, what has come of Joseph's dream? Nothing. And so how can Joseph be so confident in his interpretation? Because he absolutely nails this. Exactly as he interpreted is how this played out. In the, first, uh, in the ancient Near East, dreams were taken very seriously. And most cultures believed that dreams were uh, the gods communicating to us, the gods sending us messages. And so most cultures had what was known as a dream book. And it was kind of like a book of codes. And you would interpret all of the symbols of a dream and then interpret the dream based on the, the dream book that existed. Now, Joseph doesn't have a dream book. He's in prison, but he does have a worldview that says that we believe in a God who has revealed himself, is revealing himself, and a God who has often spoken to his people through dreams. And so Joseph says, God is the God, is the God who interprets. Tell me the dream, and I'll let you know what it is. Now, we're not, we don't know how that happens. Perhaps Joseph prays in that moment, God, pl- please tell me because I've just said that you would tell them, so please tell me what the interpretation is. Or, or perhaps Joseph just intuitively knows as the Spirit reveals to him what is about to play out. We, we don't really know. All we know is that Joseph interprets the dreams and he gets it right. And it raises the question, does God speak through dreams today? Like, is that a thing? Can we expect God to warn us and guide us and speak to us in our dreams? Like, what the heck did my dream mean last night? Honestly, I woke up going, I think I need to be more careful with my kids. That's, that's what I took away from that dream. Don't make stupid dad decisions. Don't leave your kids in the car. Um, lesson learned. I'm still emotionally scarred by that dream. But what about, what about our dreams? Well, if you remember a couple of weeks ago as Brad launched this series, he gave us a framework for helping us understand whether or not God speaks through dreams. We know as we read our Bibles that God sometimes communicates to his people through dreams. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, the father of Jesus, right? You remember Joseph, he planned to secretly divorce Mary and an angel appears to him in a dream. It says to him, no, 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 take Mary's wife, adopt her son, you're gonna call him Jesus, you're gonna be saved of the world. Joseph also has dreams that King Herod is trying to kill their newborn baby and so they should flee. Or the Magi who hear of Jesus's uh, birth and they come and they also have a dream that warns them that Herod is trying to take the life of this child. And so we know that, that God communicates through dreams in the scriptures. We also know from the prophecy that, uh, that is spoken in Joel chapter two that Peter says is fulfilled in Acts chapter two 
where he says, your young men, your young women, your servants will dream dreams and see visions. So we know that this is part of the way that God works. And yet, our dreams are not God's word. Our dreams are not on par with the scriptures. And so you might have a dream, you might even have an interpretation of that dream, but that dream and that interpretation is not binding on your conscience in the same way that your Bible is. The scriptures are God's word. They are authoritative in our lives. And sometimes our dreams are helpful and sometimes they're not and sometimes our dreams are just random, like weird random, right? It means nothing. Don't try and interpret that dream. If we really want to know what God says and how we ought to live our lives and who we should marry and what jobs we should take and all of those sorts of things, instead of looking to our dreams, we can look to God's clear message to us in the scriptures. And sometimes he'll speak in dreams and sometimes he won't. But I think the ordinary means of God communicating to us is his word. And his extraordinary means are things like dreams and visions. And so... Joseph interprets a dream. He nails it. And you're thinking to yourself, this is Joseph's time. This is his moment. He got in the ear of the cupbearer. The cupbearer has been reinstated. He's going to surely tell Pharaoh and Joseph will be released from prison. This is his moment. And you get to chapter 40, verse 23, and it says this. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Man. That's got to be discouraging for Joseph. It's like any day now, any day he's going to tell Pharaoh, he's going to remember any day and weeks and months and two years roll on. And Joseph's dreams and hopes are shattered. My question is, how does Joseph wait well in that moment? What does he do to continue to have faith What does he do to continue to wrestle with God and believe the promises of God? We're not really told what he does, but my guess is that Joseph is familiar with the story of his forefathers. He knows the story of his great-grandfather, Abraham. Abraham was given a promise from God that he and his wife, Sarah, would have a child together, a child of promise, a child that would bless the world. And they waited how long? 24. Five years to see the fulfillment of that promise take place. Well, Joseph remembers the story of his great-grandma, Rebecca, Jacob's mum. And Rebecca received a promise from the Lord. She said, the younger Jacob will serve the older Esau. And she waited 14 years while Jacob was working for Uncle Laban and marrying Rachel and then marrying Leah and then coming back and reconciling with Esau. And Joseph remembers the story of his family line, the story that would have been passed down over and over again. And it's in the remembering the promises of God that breathes hope for Joseph. See, I think the confidence that comes in Joseph's interpretation is actually a statement of faith. Joseph interprets these dreams, the cupbearer, the baker, and in a moment we'll see he interprets Pharaoh's dream as well. And he interprets them accurately. And I think those are moments of faith because as he chooses to believe that God has interpreted those dreams and those things will happen, he remembers the two dreams that he has had. 
and chooses by faith to believe that God will bring those to, to, to fruition as well. God has not abandoned him in jail. He hasn't forgotten him. He does have a plan. And Joseph needs to wait and trust. So finally, after two long years, two years after the cupbearer is restored to his office, Pharaoh himself has a dream. He calls together all his magicians and sorcerers and dream interpreters and none of them can interpret the dream and Pharaoh is despondent and the cupbearer is there and he says to Pharaoh, you know what? Two years ago, I was in jail. When you threw me in jail, I met a Hebrew and he interpreted my dream and he got it spot on, bang on right. Why don't you get him out? And he'll interpret your dreams. That's what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh gets out Joseph and asks Joseph to interpret the dream. He tells Joseph his dream. He says, in my dream, coming up out of the Nile were seven cows, fat, juicy, plump, healthy cows, like the kind of cow you would cut a big steak off. Mm, big, juicy, healthy cows. Seven of them came up from the Nile and after them, followed seven gaunt, skinny, scrawny, and ugly cows, and the seven scrawny, ugly cows gobbled up the seven fat cows, but you would never have guessed that they did because they were still skinny and gaunty and, and, and gaunt and ugly, even after they ate the fat ones. You're like, That's a whack dream. And then he has another dream. He says, in my dream, I saw seven ears budding, fat and juicy and healthy, and then seven ugly, skinny, gaunt, years and they gobbled up the fat ones and you would never have known afterwards that they ate them. And Joseph says this profound thing in 41 verse 16. Here is Joseph's moment, the dream interpreter. He's got a good track record now. What does he say to Pharaoh? He says to Pharaoh, verse 16, I can't give you the interpretation. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up, buddy. You've, you've got this. He says, I can't give you the interpretation, but God can. God can. Now that's a, that's a bold statement because in this culture, in Egypt, Pharaoh is God. He is God. Joseph is saying in this moment, I got nothing, but I do know a God who can tell you the interpretation of your dream. And so Joseph interprets his dream. He says to him, well, the seven fat cows and the seven fat ears, they represent seven good years. Seven good years of good harvest, good food, good rains, bumper seasons, good crops. But the seven years that follow represent seven years of famine, seven years of drought. And the drought and the famine is gonna be so bad that it is gonna undo all of the good that came from the first seven years. That's your interpretation, Pharaoh. And then Joseph takes his opportunity. He takes his moment. Have a look at what it says in verse 33. This is Joseph speaking. He says, Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. <clears throat> a discerning and wise man, Pharaoh, and set him over all the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land to e of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Create a tax, a food tax. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. 
That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard to the throne will I be greater than you. This is Joseph's moment. All of a sudden, the 11 years of waiting and the extra two years of waiting make sense because in this moment, as Joseph interprets the dreams, Pharaoh makes him two IC of the strongest dynasty that has ruled the earth. Egypt ruled the earth for 1,300 years. And Joseph is made two IC, second in charge. Only Pharaoh himself has more power than Joseph. What a moment. He's literally gone from the pit to the prison, to the palace. Waiting all those years. What will God do? When will he come to my aid? And in this moment, it becomes clear. And you'll notice there that Joseph's waiting is not passive. He's not like, well, God will do it. God will make it happen. I'm waiting for a job, but hey, I'm not gonna apply for anything. I'm not gonna go to any interviews God's going to provide me the joy. He's not passive, right? Trusting in God's providence and sovereignty does not mean we fold our arms and do nothing. No, we take the opportunities that God sends our way and Joseph takes his opportunity. He interprets the dream and then he offers Pharaoh a suggestion. That is, that is quick. Joseph is very quick in that moment in suggesting a good plan of stewardship of resources to bless the world. 13 years. 13 years since Joseph had been thrown in prison. Waited two additional years since the cupbearer forgot about him. And yet, in that moment, God's plan became abundantly clear because God was going to use Joseph to save hundreds of thousands of lives and to bless the world. God is using this moment to rescue the world from a severe famine, as we'll see as the chapters unfold. Now, if you remember back to the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 12, there were three things that God promised Abraham. Family, sorry, inheritance, land, family, and blessing. Land, family, and blessing. Abraham's story is a family of land. God says to Abraham, leave your land and go to a land that I'm going to tell you. And he doesn't know where he's going. He just goes, obedient to God's call, Abraham leaves. And we see the journey of Lot and Abraham as they think about where they're going to go, where, where in the land will they be. Secondly, descendants, family. That's the story of Jacob and Isaac. Isaac and Jacob, brother, you see this wrestle between Jacob and Esau. You see Laban, you see uh, um, Jacob and Rachel and Leah and their children and the wrestle with family, all this intermingled family mess. You think, my goodness, what is God doing with this mess? And that's the story of 
Isaac and Jacob, the story of descendants and family. And then we get to Joseph. And Joseph's story, funnily enough, is the story of blessing. Would you believe it? The story of blessing. Because here God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham four generations ago. That I will bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. And those who bless you, I will bless. And through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And Joseph steps onto the world stage and blesses the world through good management of resources. It's the fulfillment of the promise. But you know what? We had to wait four generations to get there. Waiting. Waiting for the Lord. I want to say to you this morning that God has a purpose. He's at work in your life. He has a plan. And his plan is good. And how you wait is just as important as the thing that you are waiting for. That we would wait faithfully. That we would trust God. Because God uses those times of waiting to stretch our faith. And to grow us. To point us to Christ to foster dependence in our lives. Waiting's not wasted if we wait well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says this, But do not overlook this one fact, dear friends, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Church, I want to remind you this morning that God's timing is perfect. God is always on time. He's never late. He's always on time. His timing is perfect. And God will orchestrate global events and the reign of nations. And He will orchestrate the smallest rhythm of a brain to send a dream to a person. God is phenomenally in control of all things. He's punctual. He's not busy dealing with other people's stuff that He's forgotten about you. He knows. He sees you. He sees you're waiting. He wants to grow you in it. And he's in control. And he's never late. God's timing is perfect. You know, a couple of years ago, I remember um, Arnaldo preaching a message on waiting. I think it was a season of life for us where we were waiting. I was just waiting for our kids to be able to sleep through the night. I'm still waiting. Goodness me. Um, but Arnaldo said this this quote in that sermon and it profoundly ministered to me just it just took me out of my funk it lifted my eyes above my circumstances and just helped me see what God was doing and this was the quote I messaged him yesterday I was like bro what was that quote who's that author that you quoted in that sermon so good I want to use it tomorrow's sermon this is the quote more important that what God can do for you at the end of your waiting is what God is doing in you while you're waiting, quote unquote, Arnaldo Santiago Jr. No scholar, just our brother. More important than what God can do for you 
at the end of your waiting is what God is doing in you during your waiting. That's true. Waiting stretches our faith. And whatever you're waiting for today, church, God sees it. He wants to grow you and He wants you to wait well. He has a plan, it's good, and His timing's not off. He's not too slow, He's just right. And faith for us looks like trusting, trusting in the promise making, promise keeping God that He comes through. These promises are good, every single one. We find ourselves, if you're a follower of Jesus, a believer in Him, we find ourselves in a season of waiting. We live in the time between Christ's ascension and His return. And it's a season of waiting for us, that we wait for the return of the Lord. We wait for the promise that Jesus says, as you have seen me ascend, so I will return. Jesus is coming back. And we wait. And how we wait is just as important as what we wait for. God calls us to wait faithfully, to wait well, to remember His promises, to remember the gospel, and to wait. And so my prayer this morning is wherever you're at, whatever you're waiting for at the moment, whether you're waiting well or you're not waiting well, that God would give you the faith to believe, to cling to His promises that are true and to trust His timing. We're going to respond this morning. And I would love for those of you who have been particularly prompted and stirred to wait well this morning to respond by heading to our prayer team. They would love to pray for you. They have orange lanyards around their neck and they're going to be to the sides of the auditorium here and would love to pray for you, whatever need you have. But particularly if you're wrestling with waiting, they would love to pray for you. Come for prayer. Do business with God. This isn't just a performance, these next couple of songs. Do business with God. Ask for the faith that you need to continue to trust God's good timing and His sovereign purposes. We're also going to respond in worship as the band comes and we're going to respond in our giving, our offerings this morning, our giving containers to come around. And this is an opportunity for those of you who would like to partner with us to give joyfully and generously and sacrificially. If you're a guest here this morning, you are under no obligation to give. Simply let those giving containers pass you by or put your Connect card and your pencil in those. But I'm going to pray for us as we transition to worship our good God. I invite you to stand, church, as we pray together. Father God, I want to pray this morning that you would help each and every single person in this room to be reminded that you are the promise-making, promise-keeping God, and that your promises are good and sure, and that your timing is perfect. God, we confess so often we run on our own agendas and our timing seems better than yours. So help us, Father, to believe. Give us the faith that we need to cling to your promises, to remember that every single promise you ever made, you have kept. Father, I pray particularly for those who are wrestling in a season of waiting now, where waiting is hard, where waiting is long, where waiting is discouraging and where waiting is faith crushing. Father, today would you lift spirits and lift eyes above circumstance to see your goodness and your grace 
afresh today. And for all of us, God, as we wait for the return of Jesus, our Saviour, help us to wait well. Help us to be a faithful people who would wait well. We need your spirit for this. We pray that you would work it in us. And we ask this in Jesus' strong name. God's people said,